Hey guys. Hey. Can you hear me now? Hello. Yeah. Hi. Sorry about that on the last episode. Nicole failed. didn't fail we just weren't aware i just of it. didn't realize but at least it wasn't like episode 37 used to be yeah, all right facts. we recorded one episode i've we've redid it and uh i don't know what happened to the audio but it sounded <laughs> like <laughs> oh gosh it was awful and that was our uh we, we <laughs> opened with clerks mm-hmm. my girlfriend took 37 37 dicks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I gotta time. remember to tweet at Joseph Gordon Levitt tomorrow, tomorrow, too. There you go. Because, well, actually, it'd be last week when you're hearing this. Sorry. <laughs> it throws me off when we pre record ahead of time because you people are gonna be like, what are hey, you talking who are you? about? I am God. Oh, I'm Nicole. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you're new here. My name's Nicole. Hello. And I'm Shauna. I'm the one that sits to the side, and apparently last week was super quiet. I mean, you could hear you. It was just quieter than it should have been because I didn't realize that the microphone was, it was plugged in, but like it wasn't the selected microphone, so it was just through the laptop. And Katie is here again to finish part two with us. Hello. And there's a little Apollo. I'm gonna grab Take it. Are you gonna freak out? Absolutely. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, no. Oh, Hi. Bye-bye. So, Don, you'll hear baby noises. You're welcome. Yes. And there's actually been quite a few of the feud. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Few of the girls that were in the morbid group <clears throat> that, like, uh, why we got Wyoming. Hey, thank um, you. A billion times Again. over, yes. <laughs> yes, from all the states, and I shouted every single one of them out. Because yeah. should I do it in alphabetical order? Mm. Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Arkansas. <laughs> California, oh. Colorado. Colorado. Of course, I say Arkansas. No, I'm sorry. I'm, no. It's fine. I'm fine. But no, um, yeah, I shouted every single. But one of them's like, I love the baby noises, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm glad some people. I know some people will probably be like, Oh my god, not but, if you're a girl. Not I if you're most females in general. Are Sometimes it's like out. it's like necessary, especially mm-hmm. when we're talking about the things, because there'll be a time when he's not allowed to sit in on it anymore. Well, yeah, um, when he can actually really understand words. Yeah, <laughs> but it was funny because in the beginning, when he was littler, because I listen to Morbid so much. If you guys don't know what Morbid is, it's a true crime Hi. podcast with two sisters in Massachusetts, and they're hilarious and incredible, and I love them so much, and I worship them, and that's why I have a podcast. Anyways, they. Um, I would listen to them so much when I was pregnant that when the first two weeks of his life, when we would get in the car and he'd be fussing and I'd turn that on, instant silence. Made his little butt happy. And explosive because he had an explosive diary. I love you. Oh, it's blinking because I don't know. That's still recording. Oh, okay. It's it's something. I don't know. It was in the notes. In the notes. It was in the thing when we bought him. If it's blinking, it's still working. Hi, Don. Hi, Don. We love you. So you don't know that's Katie. That's Katie. Yeah. He's like enamored with her. He just keeps staring at her. <laughs> and we're teething, so I'll try to. No, yeah, see, it's catching sound way better this time. But we're back with Joseph Callinger. Callinger. Because I went and listened to another podcast about him today to add a little bit to the notes. And it is Callinger. Because I said it like four different ways yesterday. Yesterday, last week. <laughs> we recorded yesterday. I'm so sorry. sorry. Goodbye. Right. So. You can't hear me crunching because I'm hungry. And we don't want her to have another low, so it's fine. First off, um, so yeah, I wanted to add this part from part one that 
Um, so we talked about how he had surgery on his bird, aka his penis. He did not actually have that surgery. His parents just told him he was. They were having the sur- that surgery, um, simply so that he, it would keep him from acting out sexually, which we all know it was a total and lost cause. But so yeah, he didn't have a hernia. He did have the hernia surgery, but they told him, in addition to that Ah, surgery, they did something to his penis to prevent him from being able to um, have any sexual arousal or pleasure. I'm sorry. Kind of genius parents, but it didn't work. It absolutely (laughs) didn't work. So, okay, so I I listened to, it's called Necromonopod, is what the (laughs) podcast is called. And they're three super, super funny dudes. That was loud very loud all the baby sounds but i was listening to them and that his parents also told him a demon lived inside his penis and that would pre- <laughs> that would also prevent him from being able to have any sexual encounters it didn't stop him though and <laughs> you guys need to now watch the movie called teeth no <laughs> that's a good movie that shit's wild Good purpose, though. Yeah, she says no. Yeah, so no. So definitely go listen to Necro Monopod. Um, they're pretty. You're just teething. Stop. Yeah, they were, and they're quite. They're pretty hilarious. On purpose. Yeah. Go hit him on purpose. Okay. Right. Shut the door. And that's how I parent people. <laughs> and uh, aunt. That's how I ant people. That's how she anti-dads. <laughs> I guess I'm not going to edit that out because I was going to. It's like, well, now I can't because it'll be like, it will make no sense. I'm leaving it. We're in the beginning. It's fine. Hi, so, welcome to the shit show. Welcome to, yeah. We might need to edit whatever happens next, but. Yeah, someone comes in screaming. We apologize. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait, and oh. there's an Aries. No, that's a my son. Sorry. That's a my son. It's a my son. Hi. No. Oh man! Okay, now we're gonna. We're Sorry, gonna I'm this. just totally in love with the ball. I do not say blah blah blah, but you do, senor. You blah, do. Blah, blah. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes you get something in you. All right, all right. <clears throat> so when we left off last week, yesterday for us, um, yeah, he had had surgery about his penis. And only to find out, no, he hadn't had surgery. No, we, we were way past that. No, I know, but that's what Oh, we that's what, what I was just talking yeah. about. Okay, yeah, because we had to pause for the cause because children are wild. Mm-hmm. Um, they're wild and outside. But on last week, part one, we had, they had broken into the house, um, assaulted people, and murdered Maria Fashing. Follows him tell you what happened. Just gonna, this is going to be just a bunch of baby noises. We're not even going to talk about the story. Apollo's stealing the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, tell him how you had you had an extreme blowout and you had to take a bath today. Yeah. Hi. Come here, Steve. All right. You ready to read? This is rescue. So when Police Sergeant Robert. <laughs> McDougal. Yes. And his partner. Stop saying that. Sergeant. Dad does over there. Yeah. It's anti-dad. Anti-dad he's right here. Don't choke yourself. All right, sir. Come here. Come here. Sergeant Henry Alston received a radio call directing them to attend to a screaming woman complaint at 124 Glenwood Avenue. <laughs> They didn't know what to expect. They pulled up outside the Romaine house. McDougal, a 23-year veteran, knew instinctively that it was serious. 
He was met by Lucy Bivakwa. Bivakwa. I'm sticking with it. Who told him she had called on behalf of her neighbor, Edwina, who was screaming hysterical. As they approached the house, they saw Edwina on the porch and her legs were still tied together. Seeing the police, she screamed, those two men with guns and knives were killing her family and begged them to go in and save them. So they heard weapons, so they ran, he ran back to his car and called for backup. Because you don't know what's going to happen. Returning to the house, he drew a service revolver and gingerly entered the home while his partner um, tended to Edwina, who was tied up on the porch. Inside the... Yeah, intense. <laughs> Inside the door, he stopped and listened before walking quietly down the hall that led to the kitchen. Passing the living room, he saw the mess that had been left. Smashed vases and other items littered the floor. Lamps and appliances, their cords missing, um, were strewn about the room. Hearing a noise come from the other side of the room, he called out, Come out with your hands up! Uh, <laughs> you're gonna... Every- okay, I know it's a cop. <laughs> told him to come out. <laughs> like, come out, come out, wherever you are! Oh, yeah, I'm free! <laughs> A terrified Retta Romaine crawled out from behind the sofa. He asked who else was in the house, but she couldn't speak. Eventually, with great effort, she stuttered, single word, upstairs. He untied her and um, told her to get out of the house before proceeding up the stairs. Once he got up there, he heard moaning and whimpering from the bedroom. He scanned the hallway and peered in the room. Randy Romaine sat um, naked. Naked. I mean... Naked on the floor. Naked on the floor. (laughs) I don't know why I read it. Like... The, what is that? The, the, not vernacular. I read it like exactly as it's spelled. Naked. 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 It was naked. Her hands were still bound and her head was swathed in adhesive tape. Her sister Dee Dee and nephew Robert were on the bed but also na- naked but unharmed. They were untied by McDougal. At the time, Detective Roger Quinton had arrived at the house and was informed by Edwina there were others in the basement. They, um, two officers quickly found the stairs to the basement and descended in the pitch darkness. They, um, turned it on to reveal the body of a young woman who was slumped in the corner. The grandma, right? Um, No, she's upstairs. This is Maria. She was still dressed, but her white clothes were bathed in blood. As they stepped closer, her throat had been slashed from ear to ear. As as feared, um, she had indeed drowned in her own blood. That's what her cause of death ultimately ends up being. So they heard moans from the other end of the basement, and it was found. They found Frank Welby, who was I'm pretty sure Maria's boyfriend. If I remember from part run one correctly, I may have to double check that. Okay, it's fine. Um, uh, he was bound and blinded by adhesive tape, and he was next to the furnace, but he was unharmed. It didn't take police long to search the rest of the house and realize that the assailants had fled. With every everyone except Maria was unharmed. No one was... None of the females were raped because none of them... They'd been they on, on their periods period. and menstruating and then didn't do anything to the little boy. I think, not that I'm relieved no, about yeah, Maria, but for like... Sure, but for sure. yeah. yeah. Um, most of the occupants had either been stripped naked or partially naked and taunted sexually, however. But Maria had not. She had not been stripped or sexually molested in any way prior to her murder. So something happened to everyone else but her. Wow. She was oh, well. just, the, and she was the only one murdered. So, but that was weird. I thought she was the one that, like, they brought her in, and they were pretty sure she was being raped. The noises that was going on. <clears throat> was that the neighbor? Is Maria the neighbor? Am I totally no. lost? Okay, just kidding. No, Maria's Edwina was the neighbor. Oh, okay. Yeah, because okay. she's the one who came to check on her neighbors. Okay. Descriptions of the calendars were circulated in in the entire Leonia Police Department. Place was placed on alert. They searched another resident. Uh, while they were searched, another resident was calling them. Her name was Eva Rumi. 
She lived a few streets away, and she told the police that she had been walking her dog in Sylvan Park when she saw a man and a teenage boy run into the park, and they were hand-in-hand. Because remember, in part one, they were, like, walking together and, like, being effeminate was the word. They were all like... Yeah. I'm like... It's like... I'm like, I love my kid, but I'm like, I'm not going to be like, oh, come here, let me lick your forehead. Like, come here, like a cat. So as she watched, they stopped near a basketball court where another teenager was playing basketball. The man took off his dark overcoat and handed it to the boy, and he removed his shirt and tie and threw it on the ground. Evidence. He bent down forward and did something on the ground, and then they ran out of the park. After they'd gone, she walked over to where the clothes had been near, left, um, left near a puddle, and realized that the man had been washing his hands in it. The clothes were streaked with mud and what looked like patches of blood. You are correct, Eva. Good job. Proud of you. She returned home, stopping by just <clears throat> long enough to talk to the boy in the basketball court about their strange behavior. Soon after, she placed her call. Um, Sergeant McDougall arrived at her house and heard her story. He immediately drove to the park and found the discarded shirt and tie. The boy was no longer at the basketball court, but he did later confirm Eva's story and provided the police with an accurate description of Michael and Joseph Callinger. Um, although the blood-spattered shirt and tie weren't immediately connected to the fashing murder, they were retained and examined. F- they were uh, retained and examined for future clues. Details from a laundry, um, wow, laundry mart. I put mark. Goodbye. It was probably supposed to be laundromat. I did great. And a manufacturer's label on the shirt uh, were circulated in an attempt to trace its owner. The Romaine house was also closely examined for fingerprints and other trace evidence. In one of the upstairs rooms, they found a typewriter case full of property belonging to the occupants of the house. Um, obviously, they had robbed them, but they didn't end up taking anything with them because they fled so quickly. Yeah. So in the days following the attack, um, the news of Maria's murder spread pretty quickly through the small community, as it does. We all know with small towns, they're like, oh, it never happens here. No <laughs> That's what we thought here until something happened. Pause for the calls. Sorry, okay, with that, um, okay, so there was a lot of sightings of these two after they fled because they're not very smart. One such sighting was reported by a man who told police how a dark-eyed stranger in a top, dark top coat and a teenage boy with long blonde hair and a ski cap had come to his house on the same morning. When his stepdaughter answered the door, they asked her if the Joneses lived there. When the man went to the door to see who his daughter was talking to, the man and the boy left in an obvious hurry. The most important sighting of all was from a local bus driver who reported a man and a boy getting on his bus during the afternoon of January 8th. The bus was heading out to Leonia to George Washington Bridge via Fort Lee. Um, the driver remembered the pair and clearly described, or clearly describing them in detail. He told detectives they seemed to be in a hurry and looked as if they had been running. If it had been me, I would have been breathing real, real hard because I don't run. And if I'm running, you should run too because I don't run. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, with sightings confirmed, the pair's arrival and departure in and from Leonia, the police began piecing together a map of the, um, of the route uh, Callender and Son had, I don't know why I can't read, had used both in and out of town. The assistant prosecutor for Bergen County, his name is Larry McClure, that's, that's funny, I know a lot of people with that last name, took over the investigation and ordered a full search of the streets used as an escape by the strangers. He reasoned that if they went to the trouble of discarding a shirt and tie, they might um, dump other items as well, and his hunch paid off. Lieutenant Paul Dittmar of the Leonia Police was searching Park Avenue, um, part of the escape route, when he found a man's watch with a distinctive blue face. 
It was hidden in shrubbery. Two blocks further on, he found a brown leather knife sheath. Ten minutes later, he found a knife. It was round, had a black handle and a four and a half inch blade, which was razor sharp and stained with blood. Dum dum dum. An autopsy conducted the day after the murder revealed that Maria Fashing had died from multiple stab wounds to the chest and deep slashing wounds to her neck. The wounds in her chest were later matched to the blade dimensions of the knife found by the detective. So they just ditched the murder weapon. Did I say weapon? Yeah. I did. I was like, wait. <laughs> I didn't sound right in my brain. I'm fine. Goodbye. His hunt. Oh, yeah, I said that. An hour later, the same detective found a chrome-plated 32 caliber revolver dumped in a hedge. It was fully loaded. Nearby, he found Edwina Romaine's Timex watch and a garnet oh, ring belonging to her daughter. Didi, that's my son's uh, birthstone. As the search wound up for the day, other jewelry was found in the same area. Wow, they're just like yeeting it everywhere. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know, just leave that smoking fire behind your tracks. It's fine. (gasps) Any. Oh no. Sorry. Our table. It's broken. Sorry. Any hopes that the police had of um, tracing the assailant via the gun or the knife disappeared when they were examined. The knife had no obvious markings or brand name, and the serial number on the gun had been filed off. Ah, I hate how smart it is, but that's pretty fucking smart. They drew a blank with the shirt. They had um, ascertained that it had been manufactured in Philadelphia and bore the laundry mark K-A-L, but um, they had no way of tracing its ownership. Working on the premise that the same pair had committed similar offenses in the area. Wow. I need a drink of water. Prosecutor McClure sent out notices to police departments along the East Coast requesting any info of any incidences involving a man and a boy with the obvious description of how they look. Within days, he received a response because these guys, they're not smart. A man and boy answering the same description had been suspected of Four similar events in the previous six weeks. The first report was in Lindenwald, New Jersey on November 22nd, 1974, followed by attacks in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania on December 3rd, um, Baltimore on December 10th, and Dumont, New Jersey on January 6th. The reports all agreed on two two distinct details. The suspects, goodbye, suspects had approached residents using the do the Joneses live here and the victims had all described the man's unusual smell. Because remember, good old Joe is stanky Joe. Gross. But no murders had been committed in the previous attacks. But a woman in Harrisburg had received a deep, deep cut to her breast. Um, which we had talked about a little bit in part one. All were attacked at their front door be- before being forced inside. They were tied up and robbed. Out of all the attacks, only two victims were sexually assaulted. This consisted of Joseph Callinger forcing the woman to perform... Uh, oral sex on him, which we talked about a lot yeah. in part one about how if you are being forced to do that, bite the motherfucker's penis off. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you're one of those people like, I don't like the taste of water. Do you really like the taste of stranger cock in your mouth? Like, yeah. what would you prefer? Yeah, really. You can spit it out and yeah. gargle bleach later. Yeah, like, I mean, it's fine. Maybe don't gargle bleach, but I mean, whatever you want. Well, I'm do. just saying, eat a Tide Pod. It's but fine. Do what you got to do. Do what you have to do to get out of that predicament, and yeah. you'll get out of that predicament. It's gonna say predicament pretty quickly because them's is pretty tender. Yeah. Test tender. Mm-hmm. So on one occasion, he ordered one of his victims to let the boy do whatever he wants, and he left his son alone with her. According oh. to the woman, he remember, he's 13. 
Um, the boy undressed and tried to have sex with her, but was unable to sustain an erection. Oh, that's... That's so, that's so traumatizing. And on top of everything else they're doing, but, like... Because he's out and about in the world now, so... What? Uh, the son, Michael? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh. We'll get there. Liars. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not a liar. <laughs> Unless he's done other other crimes. As far as I know, he has not. Um, in all... 53 matching fingerprints were taken from the Romaine house and the homes of the other victims and sent to the FBI for identification. No matches were found. Further examination of the search yielded a complete name, Callinger, K-A-L. Remember, we just said that about the, <laughs> the laundry. A search for criminal records in the surrounding police districts and FBI files was made for the name, but um, no, again, no match was found. So I don't think he committed any, like, petty crimes or nothing like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he The domestic abuse. Oh, of his daughter, because he got... Okay, identical. Goodbye. We only his did, daughter or his wife? No, he branded his daughter's leg because oh, yeah, they tried yeah, to yeah. run away yeah, yeah, yeah. from home. And that was another thing that Necromonopod, um, they kind of honed in on that about why they ran away from home. And then they were brought back, but she was the only one that was um, branded on her leg. So... Go listen to that episode. It's great. Uh, I don't know what number it is. I want to see... Yet. But not wait, wait till you finish ours. Wait till you finish yeah. ours, and then go listen for additional details that I may have missed, which I'm trying to save right now. It's fine. Salvage right now. The words are hard. Uh, finally, a detective attempting to trace the shirt got a break. The entire production run of the company that made the shirt was sold through one retail outlet, the Berg Brothers Department Store in Philadelphia. I said it funny yesterday when I was listening to the e to edit it together. <laughs> You know what? It's fine. It's, I'm going to just talk. She's just going to keep going, guys. It's fine. After interviewing the staff, I said Philadelphia funny yesterday, too. So, the detective learned that the shirt had been sold the autumn of 1973 to an unknown customer. Assuming the purchaser of the shirt was a resident of Philadelphia, the detective, Robert Roseman, rang the Philadelphia police and asked if they had any record of a guy with the name of Callinger or something similar. Unknown to Roseman, the Philadelphia computer had already drawn a blank on the name search because it was looking for the different for a different spelling but the officer Roseman spoke to, um, but the officer spoke to, what? Recognize the sound of the name. That, okay. I don't know. Type the, either. The officer that he spoke to. Oh, okay. Recognize the sound of the name, but not the way it was spelled. His correct name was Joseph Callinger, a resident of Philadelphia. He also had a police record. Okay. Cause I remember you saying. They went through a phone, phone book, book to look and, and they put two and two together because they had seen that Joseph had a past record of, like, whatever. The, whatever. the child abuse case. <clears throat> Closing in. The file that the police, Philadelphia police had on calendar included his current address and photographs, which matched the descriptions the victims had provided. Um, the police said about compiling evidence against him, which they had plenty, knowing that he lived at 2723 North Front Street. And we're going to talk about that at the end. Um, or not where he lived, but the house that he committed these crimes in. Um, in the Kensington district of Philadelphia, just a few blocks from the department store where he had bought the shirt, they began canvassing the laundries and dry cleaners in the district to confirm that the shirt had belonged to him. They found that what they were looking for when they approached Joseph Felcher, who is the owner of Bright Sun Cleaners. I don't know. I feel like that's how it should be said. <laughs> I just didn't add for them. They're welcome. It's probably not open. This is 1970-something. Uh, you never know. 73. Or, it's fine. 
74. Located just up the block from Callenger's house, as soon as he was shown the bloodstained shirt, he told them, that's Joe Callenger's. He runs the shoe repair place down the block. His dad owned a shoe shop, ergo making him the shoemaker. And they got, referencing, because I listened to this today, um, his dad owned a shoe shop. And I think we talked about that briefly, mm-hmm. and that's why he he talked about... Uh, how we wanted to make shoes for animals and his hamster's feet were too small so to put wedges in the shoes. <laughs> so he's like, I told the hamsters I was going to make them top hats and suits and they seemed unimpressed and looked away from me when I told them and I got very upset that my hamsters didn't oh. care that I was going to make... You guys got to go listen to those guys. <laughs> the way that they go back and forth and one of them is talking as Joseph telling a um, therapist and he was just so upset <laughs> hamsters were mad or didn't care that he was going to make them tiny shoes that would not fit their little feet. Sorry, it made, I was cracking up today. It was beautiful. Um, I might add that into our show notes to Just go link yeah, 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 yeah. to that episode because it's fucking funny. Okay, anyways, sorry. Shoes, the shoemaker. Okay. Um, runs a player repair place down the block. When asked how he could be so sure it was his without even looking at the laundry mark, he replied, the smell. Her shirts always smell like that. Smell like dead princess. Sorry. The smell was later found to be from a pungent glue that he used to repair the shoes. Mm. That makes sense. Felcher was also also explained why Callenger's name was misspelled on the laundry mark. The marking machine was only capable of printing eight letters, so he left off one letter off. So he probably just put one L instead of two L's because his last name has two L's in it. Um, with the shirt identified, they sought to learn more about their suspect. From the file, they learned that he was a self-employed shoe repairman who worked out of his own shop at the address, um, same address as his house on Front Street. He learned his trade from his, um, adoptive dad, whose name was Stephen Callinger, who was an Austrian immigrant who died in 1965, um, at the age of 72. His adoptive mother, um, Anna, still lived nearby. Um, oh yeah. Okay, it talks about how... He was... Why did this go backwards? Um, 1958. Oh, okay. So this gets into more about his kids in there. We went backwards a little bit. I didn't realize I had done that. Okay. Because he, yeah, he had five kids. Joseph, Junior, Mary Jo, Michael, James, and Bonnie Sue. And... Oh, okay. It was... Through Joseph Jr. that Joseph Callinger first came to the attention of the police because that's he was his first victim because him and his son drowned him yeah. and sacrificed him. Sacrificed him because it was like um, uh, who is it in the Bible that oh shit who sacrifices his, is that Cain and Abel but they're brothers doesn't a father kill his son? Who is going to, but it didn't, God ends up saying, never mind, you don't have to do it. Isn't it um, Moses? Oh, maybe it was. Because I'm like, what? am I wrong? I don't know. He does. Let's see. My uh, grandfather is a pastor. Can you go? Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. There's probably an offend somebody. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah. So, okay. Abra- God tells Abraham. Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on Moriah. Okay. Abraham. Okay. Okay. Father Abraham. But then he, yeah, he interrupts him. Okay. It wasn't Moses. I am dumb. And that's the end of this song. Um, okay. Um, 
Okay, so yeah, this is just getting back into like his home life. I don't like that. I want to go back to what's happening right now. There's something happening here. Oh, love that song. What it is. <clears throat> okay, if it sounds. I'm going to just in conclusion to that report because this talks about him going into the psychiatric hospital for a while because of him having the form of schizophrenia of the paranoid type, which we kind of touched on in the first... Yeah, but we just touched on it. So he went in? Yeah, because he was in there prior to committing this act with Michael. Um, Turn the attention... Yeah, on his son's... I've already talked about all this. What the hell? Um, found multiple head injuries in his son. Okay. Okay. Okay, so, yeah... We're, sorry, that was a lot of pausing and something aggressive. And see. Okay, here we go. So, um, we're talking about how piecing together, trying to get him. Um, last name was spelled wrong. Uh, it was con- he was confirmed as the owner of the shirt and his location was confirmed. The Philadelphia police sent photographs of both Joseph and Michael to the other jurisdictions where the pair were alleged to have been operating. In all cases, the photos of Callender Sr. returned positive identifications from the witnesses and victims, but were unsure about Michael because him and his brother James looked very similar because they were both blonde. They had slightly built and they were pretty close in age. So that's where that kind of got iffy, but eventually they figure out it's Michael. With sufficient evidence collected, the Homicide Squad laid, um, laid plans to arrest Joseph and Michael at their home at 9.30 p.m. on January 17th. Oh. My first child's birthday <laughs> is when they are apprehended. Obviously, many, many years later. Because my son is five. In case you're new here, hello. Because the police allow... Or no, police from the other jurisdictions wanted to be in on the arrest. Prosecutor McClure allowed two detectives from each location to accompany him to the calendar's house. Putting together a whole brigade of humans to be like, Meow. Goodbye! <laughs> At 9.30pm precisely, the contingent... Wow. Con- contingent entered it looks like it's all one word contingent entered yes the house mm-hmm. oh. uh, they arrested michael and james but did not um the two brothers but could not find their father after a brief search of the house they found a hole that had been cut through the wall <laughs> wow connecting the house to calendar's mother's house next door fearing there's um that he had fled they quickly entered the second home only to find joseph calendar talking to his lawyer on the phone wow. don't be suspicious that's a that's a pretty frequent (laughs) we frequent that phrase here there we go that's not a really fun frequent that phrase he surrendered to the police without further incident telling him that he would not talk without an attorney present because guilty people do that most no it's not you guilty i'm sorry most of the time yes but but also no they do what i space they want to have a a lawyer present oh i mean don't get me wrong i'm Mostly. I support I support the people in blue, but like sometimes the people in blue, yeah, Beyond will try to get a mm-hmm. confession or whatever from you when they don't, and then that's not okay. Or they, they coerce they you coerce into something. You. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fair. My bad. I I recant what I said. But <laughs> in this case, fucking because the guy's guilty. Yeah. <laughs> in most of these cases, when people are getting a lawyer nine out of ten times, which is mostly ten times, they're they're fucking guilty. So I I yeah, recant sorry. my recant. I just I just. I just like to argue, I guess. I'm sorry. I'm too much like my husband. Gross. 
Uh, but I love him. I like him a little bit. I mean, I did name my kid after him, so I guess I like him a little bit. While Callender was being taken to police headquarters in Philadelphia, they searched um, his house, uncovered numerous items that had been allegedly stolen from the homes of some of the victims. So they didn't get rid of everything. Sorry. Yep. They're just strewing it around like a robbed store. It is gross. Yep, they suck. Upon his arrival at the police station, he was formally charged with the murder of Maria Fashing, Fashing, armed robbery, wounding, kidnapping, theft, and rape. Satisfied that James wasn't involved... Um, the detectives turned their attention to Michael and hoped they would break in, um, break him and implicate his father. He was being led into an interview room for questioning. He passed How his father. James? Sorry. They were similar in age. Right, because Michael's 13. 13, right? so I think he's a little bit younger, if I remember correctly. Okay. Because there was an older daughter, an older son, Michael, um, James, and then... Bonnie Joe, Bonnie Sue, Bonnie and Clyde, Bonnie the baby. Um, Okay, he was being led into an interview room for questioning. He passed his father in a hallway and was told, "If you tell them anything, I'll kill you." Okay, nerd. Whether it was his threat or blind loyalty, Michael Callender never said an incriminating word relating to the charges against him or his father, despite being questioned at length by police, psychiatrists, and social workers. Did you look it up? What? Oh, I was. I thought you were looking up uh, how old James was. No, you're fine. I can look. Oh. <laughs> I was just being nosy, but like, no. it up. I was waiting I, for you to interject and be like, he's this old. Age. He's this age. Goodbye. What, who is? It's who James Callinger. I was wondering if he was, because him Older and Michael were. younger than Michael. Yeah. If he was, the, the while she's looking that up, I'm going to keep going. Okay. Almost from the time Joseph was taken into custody, his behavior began to change. Because whether he was. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Babbles. Um. As you're walking down the hall, and the cops hear... I, I guess there's... They heard the fucking dad say that. Right. You say something, like, it's like... Yeah, like, why wouldn't... Ugh, why wouldn't that be a threat? Right. Like, why just add that as a charge? Yes. Yeah. Threatening a minor. Exactly. He was genuine... Whether he was insane or playing the part to avoid going to jail for life is still undecided. Um, they spoke of ordering his wife and daughter... They, out of bed in the middle of the night to make him tea sometimes as often as 30 or 40 different times. He also told the police that he had a bowling alley next to his bed and practiced bowling at night. Both of these claims were later dismissed. I, I was just listening to that on the podcast, the Necromonopod, about how he built a bowling alley in his, the middle of his, like, bedroom. And they're like, poor Betty, because that's what they call Elizabeth, having to have him just bowl right beside you while you're trying to sleep. You. Yeah, I couldn't find it. It That's just pops up Joseph Kildare. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's okay. They were just very similar in age. Maybe yeah. they're like Irish twins or something. Yeah. Um, the more he was questioned, the more bizarre he became, but one main theme began to take hold. He told psychologists that God had sent him to Earth on a divine mission. This consisted of helping people whose brains had malfunctioned because they were wore badly designed shoes. Because he is a shoemaker. <laughs> and remember, when he was starting, he said to... God said that he would heal people through their feet. So he'd add, like, special wedges into their shoes. And that's when we got on the whole thing about the hamsters. Um, he also told them that he'd been alive for a thousand years, mostly in the form of a butterfly, and had been constantly pursued by the devil. And when they asked him what kind of butterfly, he's just like, oh, you know, just 
different ones over the course of time. <laughs> he didn't say, like, a monarch, which is, like, the only butterfly that I know. <laughs> but, like, he blocked... He, okay, he began blocking up the toilet in his cell with books and papers to cause flooding and uh, putting red fruit juice in samples of his urine in an attempt to prove that he had a medical condition. Playing crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as the date for his trial in Harrisburg... Harrisburg? Harrisburg? Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> Harrisburg neared. He became more and more peculiar. Pe- oh my... We're almost done. At the trial Whoa. itself. Peculiar. <laughs> He's so peculiar. <laughs> he would read his Bible... And seemed to take very little interest in the proceedings as the prosecution presented its case in strong, <laughs> strong evidence that they had collected. He seemed strangely calm. Pause I'm for the cause. Fine. Pause for the cause. Um, Hi, Aries. Come in. Okay. <clears throat> as the prosecution presented its case in the strong, ed- <laughs> strong evidence that they had collected, he seems calm. I already said this once. I'm so sorry. Um, his defense attempted to counter by portraying him as a family man, gross, who was being f- unfairly accused, but to no avail, gross. Sorry, I can't. <laughs> That's bleh. How the hell could they prove, like, there's no way they could... Okay, branded they his daughter! Yeah. Because Blur. she ran away to get away from him, his crazy ass. On September 18th, 1975, he was found guilty of robbery, kidnapping, and burglary. Despite his performances for the psychologist, he was found to be mentally capable and responsible for his actions and was sentenced to a term of 30 to 80 years imprisonment. We're not done yet. Don't get heated. Prior to sentencing, he was obviously confident that his psychotic ruse had worked from and and showed obvious shock at the outcome. Following the first trial, he was taken to Huntington State Correctional Institution to await extradition. Is that the right word? Extradition? Extradition? What? He's going to be extradited to New York. Oh, okay. New Jersey. Yeah. But it says says extradition. Maybe it's extradition. He's going to Jersey to face trial (laughs) for the Leonia offenses, which includes the the murder of Maria Fashing. So I was like, because when I read that at first, I'm like, uh, excuse me? Okay. So it all runs consecutively. So back at Huntington, his... He went nuts, crazy, bonkers, banana cuckoo nuts, ballistic. He, as well as blocking the toilets, he began collecting cups of water and placing them under his bed. He threw excrement and cups of urine at the guards and spent much of his day rolling on the floor of his cell and howling. Told the prison psychologist that he had a severed head named Charlie um, floating around his cell telling him what to do and was generally responsible for his for his actions. At one time, he was found sleeping on the floor of his cell. He told a guard that Charlie had taken over his cot and wouldn't let him sleep on it. (laughs) You go, Charlie. Sorry. You sleep on the floor, peasant. Um, He made several attempts to um, commit suicide normally by making superficial cuts to his wrist and on one occasion trying to choke himself with a plastic mattress cover. He ranted, raved, and continued to make a nuisance of himself night and day until his extra... There's that word again. Extradition, we're going with it, to New Jersey on September 13th, 1976. He left the prison, um, as he left the prison, the guards, obviously relieved he was going, yelled after him, don't forget to take Charlie with you. (laughs) (laughs) Savage. I love it. Take your floating head. Um, His second trial began on September 23rd. Uh, present were most of his Leonia victims and others who had seen him around on that fateful day. Evidence was compelling as was the testimony of the witnesses. In answer, the defense produced two witnesses who gave testimony that a person similar to Callinger had been seen in, a, in, in another district on the day of the offenses. Throughout the trial, um, he was a lunatic at his best. 
Rolled his eyes, shook his head, kicked his feet, threw his arms about while making an assortment of strange sounds. At times, he became so disruptive that Judge Thomas Dalton had him removed from the court. The evidence against him was overwhelming, but the jury was still um, in a quandary regarding his san- sanity because he was playing crazy pretty well, Yeah. unfortunately. Uh, the defense had prov- produced documentary evidence that suggested he... Um, uh, working in a shoe repair for many years and inhaling the fumes of a leather treatment that contained toluene? Toluene? Sure. A dangerous chemical substance that can numb the senses and damage the brain. So that's not really a bad argument, so to speak. One after another, prominent um, health experts took the stand and gave their opinion. He, they said Some said he was sane, while others diagnosed him as being a schizoid paranoic. Wow. Okay, look at me go. Finally, on October 13th, 1976, after two hours of (laughs) (laughs) deliberation. Words are hard. (laughs) This is why I stopped handwriting notes and I can't even read them typed. It's fine. The jury found that Joseph Callinger was responsible for his actions and guilty of the murder of Maria Fashing and all other charges. He was sentenced to life in prison. Michael Callinger, deemed by the court to have been under the control and influence of his father at the time of... The offenses was sent off to a reformatory, released into the care of foster parents, and placed on probation until his 25th birthday. So that's, what, 12 years? Oh my gosh, but imagine being 13. foster parents, too. Like. Yeah. Um, he later changed his name and moved to another state. Following his last trial, he was returned to Huntington to serve out his sentence. He was incarcerated in the Behavioral Adjustment Unit in B Block, known in the prison as the Hole. He was later... Uh, transferred to general population at his own request where he was put to work in the prison shoe shop he was stable for several month, months and was promoted to the workshop supervisor he spent his leisure time taking courses and writing poetry gross and seeming to be adjusting to life in prison i mean you can be there forever homie some months later his behavior became erratic which resulted him in stabbing and trying to strangle another inmate following the attack he went on a hunger strike and was transferred to philadelphia's fairview psychiatric hospital His behavior deteriorated, including speaking in a strange tongue, and he was given a wide range of medications and attempts to keep him stable. In 1981, two psychiatrists, Drs. Arietti and Robbins, examined him, and um, they wrote in their report, I only concur with Dr. Arietti's finding that of the Fairview doctors that Mr. Joseph Callinger chronically suffers from paranoid schizophrenia and that his criminal behavior is a manifestation of his illness. For six years after his transfer to Fairview, he was visited and interviewed by author Flora, I'm going to guess Rita Schreiber. That's how I'm going to say it. During these interviews, um, Callinger told of his visions that controlled him and made him perform evil tasks, including the drowning of his son, Joey, and the mutilation murder of a child named um, Jose Colazzo. We talked about that in part one. Schreiber attempted to contact Michael to confirm his father's story, but he was told by his foster parents, Michael will never talk to you ever. Go foster parents. Yeah. Um, on March 26, 1996, Joseph Callinger had a seizure and died at the age of 59 years old. I ended up reading through probably like six more articles today and all that was the general consensus because we had like a different one in part one. Right. Where he but, choked on his vomit. Cho- yeah. Yeah. But if the rest of it, I mean, it could have probably been a little bit of both, but all in all, it was a seizure that caused him to die gotcha. and probably like inhaling all those fumes probably took a toll on his body also just oh that was one of the things that they talked about in uh the necromonopod is that 
how we talked about how could you adopt a child that you don't love, but his parents literally adopted him with the sole purpose of putting him to work in their shoe shop so they'd be able to pass it down to him. Like, they had no desire to be his parents. They had no desire to be his parents. They just looked at him as a future shoe shop owner, and that's why they were the way they were with him. It wasn't out of love. It was out of money. That's, like, how it was. I mean, think about it. When people had... I mean, even people who had children, it was, it was, you now you're going to work. Now right. you're going to do tend to the farm, tend to the cows, tend to the, tend to whatever, the feet, you know, like you're going to. Yep. So that's, that was and one of the things. And if you die, I can die. make a new one. Like. <laughs> I can adopt another kid. You know, or, yeah. Cause, because of, they're, um, the adoptive dad was sterile. Is what, yeah, because I was listening. So, um, the wild fact we're going to end on, since he's, he's now dead in our, our case here, the New Jersey home where um, his the murder took place and the kidnappings took place um, sold in February of 2021. The New York po- Post. Post has, um, oh, I got this off the, their website. The home has changed hands at least seven times since the tragedy, since New Jersey st- um, state law does not consider any death in the home. To be a material fact, it is not required to be disclosed. Are you fucking serious? I thought that was meant... Okay. I don't know if that's a New Jersey thing. I don't know. The four-bedroom, three-and-a-half bathroom was recently... could be after a certain amount of time. Like, if it's been in the last ten years, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Keep going. Sorry. Uh, It was recently sold in February of last year for $587,500. The home, which spans over 1,700 square feet, had been on the market for a year prior, but it just recently sold. Wow. For over almost $600,000. Yes. So, that Gross. is the aggressive conclusion I don't like it. of Joseph Callinger. I don't like Joseph. So, I, <laughs> I don't like me either. <laughs> We're all of a sudden British here. It's fine. I don't like it Time to tiptoe down the corner uh, and get some fun. Gross. Yes. I need to go roll on all these rocks. <laughs> I need to gross. bathe in a crystal bath. I just left... Uh, yeah, it's, it just leaves a taste in your mouth. But yeah, it just... So, uh, thanks, Brian, for sending me that TikTok yeah. and ruining my life. That and, um, like, I mean, there's, there's, I there's our a, male killer for you. Yeah, we haven't had a, we haven't had a, a dude killer in a, quite a while. And this was like a... Well, I guess he wasn't a serial killer. He was a serial assaulter. He was just serial gross. He was just... He was just gross serial. Mm-hmm. Cheerios. Like, <laughs> they're left <laughs> in a bowl for four days, it, and it, they're um, super soggy and moldy. Is the brand one or whatever is fighting. Raisin, raisin brand? No, I love raisin brand. Um, uh, it's just brand. Just brand, though. Just yeah. brand without the raisins. Or just fucking... Uh, oh, I can't oh. think of what it is, but anyway. It's one of those really gross ones. Just a gross one. <laughs> just, just plain oatmeal. Gross, yuck. Uh, yeah. Yeah, plain Blech. oatmeal. Blech. With roaches. Gross. <laughs> she, you took it too far. <laughs> did I? Did I? No, I already did. <laughs> Roach. No, I love oatmeal. Now I'm going to think about it. Every- yeah, but not, you don't love him. So he's gross, roachy oatmeal. Roach meal. Uh, uh, no? Okay, bye. <laughs> Follow us on our all our socials. Listen to us on Good Pods, or if you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that's appreciated too, guys. That helps us get move up in the world of the podcast world. Moving on up. Yes, please. Um, like like Wyoming on our list because you, they're Wyoming. all yeah. Oh, yes, Wyoming. We, we love all fifty states, but Wyoming, you we've been waiting for you, girls, guys, we humans, non binaries, all of y'all. As much as you. Yes, it's, it took us what ninety five episodes to get you. We're real happy you're here. In all fifty nine countries, we love all of you we as well. We do. We do. Yes. Um. 
Fantasy and World Music by the Fighters. Does our intro sound? Yes. Bloody Katie Bell's knows podcast. the name of her podcast. We'll let you know the yeah. name of her podcast. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I may be a frequent guest. I'm going to just show up and be like, let's record. And she'll be like, no. I'll be like, okay, bye. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I'm gonna drag your your ass to I'll be like, you're coming over and you're doing this with me. Boom. I don't care what you say. Absolutely. <laughs> Alright, I'll be like, alright, time to video chat Shauna. Hey, go back and I'm like, check out all these lakes around me. Okay. I'll be like, go jump in one. And then I'll be like, hey. She'll be like, you stories about me. Oh. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> it's because you How called, my sister died. Because oh. you called them inbred and meth addicts. And that's what she thought about okay. them at first. Listen here, let me clarify. First of all, that's what I knew. That's what and she that's, said in part one. What, okay? That she is what did. I said in part one. But I said, that's what I thought I knew. Yeah. But then I also... My retort, my retaliation, my fucking response is obviously I was wrong. And I know many of people who, when they hear Dodge City, Kansas, they think we still have covered wagons and like and dirt no. roads and like. So I mean, no, people no, we just, just don't have know. it in breeding and mass. Yes, no, we just yeah. have breeding and mass. Yeah, well, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. everywhere. It's great. But, um, well, I said it to my mom, bad. which was so funny. I'm all, Mom, all I knew about Arkansas was, like, inbreeding and meth. She's like, well, I mean, it's so pretty. Nobody wants to leave. <laughs> oh, my God. Way to go, Mom. <laughs> you guys know her mom? You'd be like, wow. I know she does not listen to this. Absolutely but. not. But the fact that she said that makes it even better. Be like, listen to this snippet, because we talk I about you. Thank you. My mama. She's the best. All right, guys. Un- Till next time. Babylon. What's good, people? This your boy, Big Bruh. I'm the host of Live with Big Bruh, a podcast where I keep it raw, uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. Always keeping it 100 and giving you guys my opinion on topics that you need to go check out. Live with Big Bruh is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, or wherever else you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Make sure you go subscribe, rate, and share it. And while you're at it, tell your friends tell their friends to do the same thing you can find me on instagram facebook or twitter at live with big bruh and remember they can hold you but they can't stop you big bruh out